And now we come to one of the most significant passages in all of Scripture is when God makes a covenant with Abram. So read with me, if you would, uh, chapter 15, the book of Genesis. I will read the whole thing. And um, then we'll, we'll talk about this, this very significant chapter. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? The Lord said, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these things and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcass, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted 400 years but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions as for you you shall go down to your fathers in peace you shall be buried in a good old age And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the river, to the great river, to the river Euphrates the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now, in this passage, which is probably very bizarre to the modern reader, I mean, you got animals being cut in half, you got smoking fire pots walking through pieces, You've got a covenant being made, and and how does that relate to the promise that was given in chapter 12? In this passage, what you have is God confirming his covenant, or his promise, to Abraham through a covenant. Genesis chapter 12 is the promise given. 
Genesis chapter 15 is the covenant cut. Genesis chapter 17 is the sign of circumcision given for the covenant and the demands of the covenant. And so the, the covenant with Abraham is rolled out progressively. Uh, and here, the covenant is actually cut. That means it's actually ratified, made firm. Now, for us today, I see every time I look at Abraham and his life, I just see a paradigm for the Christian life. Um, when I look at this passage, I see one experience that all of God's people are going to face. Some more, some less. I see one response that all of God's people are required to have throughout all time. And I also see the fundamental basis that God has given his people for relying on him. So I have one experience, one response, and the basis God has given us for trusting him. First, let's talk about that experience. Here's the problem. I call it a problem because we are sinful people and you are going to experience sinful emotions and sinful passions. The problem is you live and I live between the promise given to you and the promise actualized. All of life takes place in between the promise given and the promise actualized. You have very precious promises as God's children. The promise is eternal life. The promise is a kingdom that will not fade away. The promise is every tear wiped away. Like we sang to get today, do you see creation groaning? One day it will not groan. Do you, do you wish that we could all see it all made new? Yes, we wish those things. The problem is we have the promise, but we live in between the part where the promise is given and the promise is actualized. That is the challenge of faith for the people of God. So what you're going to experience as a Christian, as a child of God, is disillusionment and frustration in your life. Now, in this passage, God reaffirms his, uh, his promise to Abram. And he says, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram and said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward will be very great. Now, Think, why would God, why would God say to Abram, I am your shield? Has anyone ever thrown rocks at a hornet's nest? For some reason, that's what I loved to do as a kid. And I paid for it dearly many times. There was one time I threw a rock. We were just, just pummeling this hornet's nest with rocks. And it was almost like slow motion. This big white bee was coming at me. And I... I like, I don't know, it was in a trance. I couldn't move from it. And it got me right in the eye. And my eye blew up like the size of a softball. And oh, my dad went in there like, like he was angry at the ground and burned it to the ground. So we had a lot of arguments with bees growing up. Um, but uh, 
First of all, don't do that. <laughs> Second of all, um, Abram has just thrown rocks at a hornet's nest because this king, um, Shador Leamor, has conquered the Mesopotamian world. And Abram went in there, 318 men, a sneak attack at night, and through miraculous providence, God's grace and a strong arm, he defeated the captors, took back the men and the possessions that they took back. And now he's in a place where, yes, he's rescued his kinsman Lot. Yes, he, he's, he's done the deed. But now what he has is armies that are going to plan to take vengeance on him. And so the Lord says, do not fear, I am your shield. So the Lord promises to be his shield and protector. Second of all, God promises to be his, he says, your reward will be very great. So he, the Lord reminds him to, that he will protect him in the midst of enemies. Furthermore, as I mentioned before, I read the passage, Abram refused the wealth that the king of Sodom offered to him, thus trusting God for provision. So he is in danger because of kings that are going to take vengeance on him. And he's just refused the wealth of Sodom, which was very great, because he had made an oath to the Lord, the passage says. We don't know when he made that oath, but he made an oath to the Lord not to become rich by any other means, not to gain wealth or prosperity, by any other means but the Lord. And the Lord reminds them, I am your shield and your reward. Now, the problem is, after, after spiritual victory, here's another thing you're going to face. After spiritual victory, you're going to experience spiritual um, weakness. There's going to be spiritual weakness after victory. You ever see um, when athletes go out there and give it all they've got, and they are tired, and they, they win the championship, and they break down in tears and cry. They give it everything they have. That is very, that reminds me, that's very similar to spiritual warfare in the Christian life. You are going to, when you have spiritual battles, and you will, and when you achieve spiritual victory, and by God's grace you will, you will experience spiritual weakness. You will be depleted spiritually. And this is why fasting, prayer, the word of God, the brotherhood, the fellowship of the saints is so important for a Christian because you will not... You will not pull yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps. So Abram is spiritually depleted. And what comes out of him is frustration. But Abram said, O oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abram has left his family. He's refused the wealth of Sodom. He does not yet have a son that was promised to him. And the land 
has not yet been given to him and is actually occupied by nations who want to kill him at this point. So that is why he's experiencing spiritual frustration and disillusionment after a great victory. But God's, God's people, so let this be a lesson to you. God's people have always been called to wait for God's promises and depend on him in the midst of frustration and spiritual weakness. There was a, there was a point a while back, I, I, get in the, I feel this sometimes. Sometimes I experience spiritual disillusionment and frustration because I, I, I give it all I got as much as I can by God's grace. And that is going to, that results in just spiritual depletion sometimes. And Nydia reminded me of a great verse a few months ago. Paul says in Galatians, And let us not grow weary in good doing good for in due season we will reap if we will not give up you will reap if you do not give up so press on in the midst of frustration and disillusionment and also beware of frustration and disillusionment and know that it is i believe a normal experience of the Christian life that we should not just sit in and bake ourselves in, but understand you're still in the flesh and you live in between the promise given and the promise realized. And there is great joy in following Christ. And there is great power that a Christian can have through the Holy Spirit indwelling him. And there is a sense of the presence of God that you can feel. However, while all those things are real and they are already available, the fullness of God's kingdom is not yet. And the problem, a problem today in many churches is what's called over-realized eschatology. Who has heard that term before? Over-realized eschatology. Eschatology means end times. Eschatology means, so we're pointing towards the things that will happen in the end. Ultimately, new heaven and new earth, new bodies, no tears, joy. That's eschatology. That's the end. Overrealized eschatology is when you take all of that and you try to put it in the in-between through promising either health and wealth or by promising um, a victorious Christian life where you will never experience frustration or disillusionment, that's over-realizing eschatology. The, the promise is out there. Nydia reminded me of a great quote we heard a few weeks ago. Um, this guy was a, a good pastor in an interview, said, told us to cast the anchor of your joy way out into eternity. Cast it out there. According to his promise, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. We have very great promises now, but the ultimate things are out there. And we are sojourners and exiles here as we wait for the blessed hope.
All right, so there is realized eschatology. Eternal life begins now. The kingdom is already, but the full actualization of the kingdom is not yet. So if you experience disillusionment, frustration, know that you are not being tempted beyond what God's people have always been tempted by. These are normal things. So, fine, they're normal things. What, do you, what does God require of you? So that's the one experience that every Christian will face. What is the one thing God requires of you during those experiences? So Abram complains, and God says, <coughs> God, in, in verse 5, brings Abram outside, and he says, where does he lift his eyes? He says, look at the stars. If you are able to number, number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. Do you ever look at the sky at, a, at a, a night where there's no light pollution out in, the, out in the woods and the stars are so bright and so many and so beautiful and so vivid I imagine that's the kind of night that this is and Abram looks up you know something about looking up at the stars that just takes you, takes you out of What's happening here? It lifts, lifts you up. I don't know what that is. There's something, something there. It arrests your attention. Jeroboam looks at the stars and God, God reminds him, if you can count the stars, then you can count your offspring. So he lifts his head up. And what does Abraham do? Or Abram still at this point. What does Abram do? It says, verse 6, And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. The one thing God requires of his people is belief. Abram believed the Lord, and God counted to him as righteousness. What we have here is the first justified man. This is the first man ever justified by faith. And as New Covenant Christians, we would point out, along with the Apostle Paul, that this man was justified by faith apart from the law, and actually before the law was given. So the promise is by faith, the Apostle Paul says. Now we spent a year and a half in Romans, um, so this passage will be familiar to you. Uh, Romans 4, 9 through 10. Paul talks about those that new covenant people of God are counted righteous by faith apart from the law. You don't have to go through the law. The law was there as a temporary means to had multiple, multiple functions, but it did show God's people their sin. Romans 4, 9 through 10. Is this blessing then only for the, for the circumcised? Paul's asking Jews. Or also for the uncircumcised? 
For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. So, circumcision as kind of an umbrella term, umbrella term for following the law. And Abram is justified not by law, but by faith before the law is given. So that's very important for God's people. So how do you put the New Covenant and the Old, Te- Old Testament and New Testament together? I could I'd teach a whole class on that. But the one fundamental thing is that the Old Covenant law is over now, and a new covenant has come in. This means also, too, that the Old Testament is still authoritative, and it shows you the heart and mind of God, but the new covenant is a new and better covenant in that it now empowers you to do the thing that it requires from you through the Holy Spirit. All right. That's the one thing required of you, though, is faith. Faith is how God justifies people and how God sees people, how he grants people righteousness. So that's the fundamental thing. Now, the experience is frustration. The one fundamental thing that God requires of you and all of us is faith in the midst of that frustration. And you will be tempted to lose faith, therefore. Know that. You will be pulled every which way to lose your trust in the Lord, your dependence on Him, your love for Him. And if there is anything that can easily help you lose your trust in the Lord, it's Facebook and Twitter and CNN and Fox News. Because all of those media outlets and social media hubs are going to tell you what's wrong with the world. And it's going to create in you elements of anxiety. But our king reigns. He will put enemies under his feet. And you need not fear though the earth gives way. So... Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now, what's the basis though? So, okay, you got the promises of God. They're way out there. I'm here in the middle, in the in-between. What's the basis for trusting these promises? You know the answer, but this is very profound. The basis for trusting God's promise, especially to first readers of this book and Abram himself. Now, in verse 7, Abram wants something to sink his teeth into. He wants, he wants to get in there, sink his teeth. In. Give me something tangible so I can trust your promises. And he says, Uh, Verse 7 says, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram, again, slightly frustrated, says, O Lord, 
How am I to know that I shall possess it? I mean, the promise was given 10, 15 years ago. People in the land want to kill me. Gary can check me on that chronology. Um, People in the land are wanting to kill me. Sarah is barren, and I certainly don't have a son. Eliezer, Damascus. And there's no way I'm taking over this land with the parasites and all the ites in the land. So, how am I to know? He He wants something to get into. Something to stand firm on. Well, the Lord does give him something firm to stand on. And the Lord said... Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. So what God gives him is an order to get it full-grown mammals. And Abram knows what to do with them. He takes these three animals and he cuts them in half and makes a path between them. Now, has anyone here gutted a deer before? All right, bless him, right? It's, now, gutting a deer, especially if you, like, if you, hit, the, if you hit the wrong part, and, and all the bile can come out, don't do that. Uh, it, it's, let's put it this way. It's not pleasant. It has, a, it has the opportunity to be an unpleasant experience. Now, that's just gutting a deer. Imagine cutting animals in half. All right? And it's not like he had a miter saw he was going through. I mean, I could picture Abram cutting through. I mean, this is a gory thing to do. All right? This is... This is this is pretty, this is not pleasant, right? I, I just, it's not, it's not a, it's not a pleasant experience. Um, so you've got the smells, the, the guts are hanging, the entrails are hanging out of this thing. And, and they're walked and there's a path between them. Um, so it's, it's a gross scene. And that's why birds of prey are coming down. The vultures are coming down on this thing. And Abram's shooing them away. Um, So what's going on here? Well, this is an ancient covenant-making ceremony that Abram is setting. Now, a covenant is an unbreakable promise that is sealed with an oath. And what these pieces represent here, the pieces of the animals represent, is the consequences of breaking the covenant. Kings, from what I understand, would conquer lands back then, and what they would do to their vassals is they would enact this ceremony, and they would take animals, cut them in half, and make those who are going to be their servants walk through the pieces so as to say if I break the stipulations of this covenant may I be torn to pieces like these animals commentator Peter Gentry says the ceremony 
of covenant making involves an oath which the covenant partners bring the curse of death upon themselves if they are not faithful to the covenant relationship and promises. Walking between the animals cut in half is a way of saying, may I become like these dead animals if I do not keep my promises and my oath. It is a way of saying, if I break the covenant, may I be torn to pieces like these animals. So, God has him prepare this covenant. Now, in verse 12, the ceremony is prepared. Now, in verse 12, the ceremony commences. It says, as, a, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. I want you to notice one thing, that the ceremony com- commences with Abram falling asleep. God begins the ceremony by putting Abram to sleep. He is about to do something very profound, and he is about to create something very special. And he puts a covenant head to sleep. Who does that sound like, first of all? What other scene? Adam. Last time, he did something very profound for a covenant head. He had that covenant head go to sleep. Genesis 2, 21. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up. Its place was flesh. So when God created Eve, he caused a deep sleep, same word in the Hebrew, to fall on the man. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam when he gave him Eve. Now he's causing a deep sleep to fall on Abram when he's making a profound covenant. And the Lord comes down and prophesies. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now, when God makes a covenant, it is a dreadful and great presence. God is good. Amen? Amen. But he is dangerous. And I think we have so often anthropomorphized God he is awesome and he is awful and he is dangerous and a dreadful and great darkness falls upon him and the Lord prophesies to him and lets him know the exact details of what will happen to his offspring he says know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs And will be servants there. And they will be afflicted 400 years. So that's that's them going into slavery. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Thus prophesying the plagues on Pharaoh. And the exodus where God does mighty works. As for you, you will go to your fathers in peace. You should be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I pause for a second. I find that so interesting. There's the reason why 
Abram is not yet in the land as I see it. It's that the pagans dwelling in the land are still filling up the cup of their iniquity. They are still filling up their iniquity. And God is, even though he knows that their sin will raise to the threshold, he gives them a chance. And what Abram's offspring will be, Joshua, when he comes into the land, is the right arm of God giving judgment on the nations that have filled up their iniquity. So we always wring our hands and wonder why Joshua was so mean. Uh, If we talk about Joshua soon, I mean, these nations were awful. And we talk about sacrificing their sons and daughters to Molech. These, 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 this was a ruthless time in history, and these people had filled up their iniquity. And Israel was to be the right arm of God to execute judgment on the nations. Okay. So that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen to Abram's offspring. They're going to be afflicted 400 years in slavery. God will, with a mighty arm, come and rescue them. After the iniquity of the Amorites is fulfilled... He will commission Joshua to go in, slaughter the pagans in the land, and set up the kingdom of God, as far as the story goes there. Now, while Abram is asleep, God walks to the pieces. It says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming sword flaming torch passed between the pieces. Why a fire pot and a torch? Simply because fire and smoke, the flame of a fire and smoke represents the presence of God. In Exodus 19, 18, you can see this as well. It's the presence of God is represented by dreadful darkness in the Pentateuch, as well as fire and and smoke. Think of the Mount Sinai experience. So this represents the Lord. And the Lord comes down and he walks through the pieces. Notice, please, that the Lord does not require Abram to walk through the pieces. It's the Lord himself that walks through the pieces, which is the opposite of what the ancient kings would do. It's the servants who would walk through the pieces. By walking through the pieces himself, then, the Lord takes the covenant consequences that two, the, the lesser party should have on himself and puts it on himself and himself alone. As almost if to say, if you, Abram, break the covenant, may I be torn to pieces. He does not require Abram to walk through the pieces. He himself walks through the pieces while Abram sleeps. So God takes the covenant consequences on himself, invoking a curse on himself that if Abram and his offspring break the covenant, he will be torn to pieces, and he was. Because when God made another covenant 
with another covenant head, dreadful and great darkness came down. Dreadful and great darkness came down so that even the soldiers there were wondering what manner of man is this? And the Son of God was crushed and torn to pieces for our iniquities. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So what is that fundamental basis that God has given us for trusting him? It's that he put himself on the line. He put himself on the line back with Abram. And that putting of himself on the line in Genesis 15 came to its ultimate fruition at the cross when another great and dreadful darkness came down and the Son of Man was torn to pieces only to be risen again and thus pave a way to him. So, yes, you will experience frustration and disillusionment in the Christian life. The one thing required of you is faith. And the main thing that God has given you to look at when you're weak in faith is the cross of Christ. And to gaze upon it with full confidence that God will bring about what he promised in that covenant. And according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Amen? Let's close in a word of